Lord God, we ask that you would speak to us. Would these words written on the page be taken by you, the living word, and would you illuminate them to us? We ask that your Holy Spirit would give us insight, would give us wisdom, would help our minds to be sharp, as you promised that the Holy Spirit would lead and guide into all truth. We ask for that this morning, and not just for us to have an understanding, but for it to become something that lives inside of us, that forms part of, of who we are and how we see the world, that changes the way that we walk and talk, changes our values, changes our priorities, because we want to be shaped by you. We know that this world, Lord, is, is not eternal as it is, that the values of this world are not eternal as they are, but you are eternal. You are forever. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. So, Lord, this morning, would you fit us for your kingdom? Help us to have our minds focused on you. We ask this in your precious name, Lord Jesus. Amen. All right, please open your Bible. We're in 1 Corinthians. Um, and let's recap a little bit. We've been in Corinthians now for a couple of weeks. And what are some of the things that we know about the city of Corinth? This is the moment where you're allowed to yell things out and it's not inappropriate. What are some things that we know about Corinth? How many ports does it have? Two. What does that give uh, Corinth? Money. money. Absolutely. Corinth got wiped out and then got reestablished and the money springs back immediately. Who's in charge of the city of Corinth at the time that Paul writes? The Roman Empire. They have Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. There are roads being built. There is trade happening. They are a melting pot of culture. What do we know about some of the uh, cultural acts of worship that were going on in the city of Corinth? Yeah, a whole lot of prostitution was woven into worship. That, that actually becomes a key part of our context for when we're looking at some of the instructions Paul gives around worship later on because the, the culture they were in was incredibly disorderly. There was nothing holy about the culture that they were in. So we're going to pick our reading up uh, where we left off. Last week, Paul had just finished his introduction and was talking about how the Corinthian church has been made wealthy in all things by God. They've been enriched in every way. And then he specifically says, with all speech and with all knowledge. And we talked a little bit about the Tower of Babel. Um, we had a look at that out of the book of Genesis. And then we also talked about this, this thing going on in their own culture that they were surrounded by people who claimed to be wise. And that one of the early challenges for Christians was this thing called Gnosticism or hidden knowledge. So verse 4. We're going to read the end of Paul's introduction. Then we're going to get into the first major bone that he has to pick with the Corinthian church. Verse 4, I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. God thus confirming our testimony about Christ among you. That God uses these things to confirm that he is who he says he is. Verse 7, therefore you do not lack any spiritual gift or charisma or charismata as you eagerly wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. 
He will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And we spoke last week about how people can be very, very gifted, but the thing that keeps us firm to the end is God. That all because someone has gifts in a particular area, those gifts might see them promoted to to a position where maybe their character lets them down. We mentioned that just briefly. The thing that we hold on to is the Lord. The thing that is our focus is the Lord. And this ties in with what we're about to read this morning. Read on with me from verse 11. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, which is another name for Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Paul jumps straight in and says, here is what's going on. Remember, all of Paul's letters in the New Testament are written except we think for the book of Romans, in direct response to a communication that he received from a New Testament church. They wrote a letter to Paul that had a whole lot of things in it that they wanted advice about or instruction about. And what we have in in the letters of the New Testament from Paul are letters to specific churches about specific issues. Paul is addressing topics. So even though we might be studying through in an exegetical way where we look at the, at the scriptures and try and mine them and go, oh, what's going on here? Paul is approaching them topic by topic by topic. Paul actually addresses churches topically. Interesting. But Paul here starts off and he goes, conflict, bone to pick number one. Isn't it good to know that church conflict is nothing new? That is reassuring sometimes when there are interpersonal difficulties in the church. It's not new. What else here is interesting is that we have we have names written the whole way through this. He starts off and he mentions Chloe's household there in verse 11. Then he mentions the, these names that people have actually been using here. So following Paul or following Apollos. Remember, Apollos turns up after Paul originally establishes the Corinthian church. We read about that in the book of Acts. Paul can only be there for a short time, gets the church up and happening. Then Apollos comes in and I think he's there for about 18 months and does a magnificent work. He's a good guy. And then other people are saying, well, we follow Peter. We find here, um, verse 14 to 17, we have Crispus and Gaius and Stephanus. Paul is not shy of actually mentioning people's names and addressing it. This is a difficult thing sometimes because often when, when church conflict happens, we can be reticent to actually put our hand up and go, I have an opinion and I'm happy even to write it down and to put it out there for discussion. Sometimes it's difficult. And Paul here is doing an extraordinary thing as a church leader going, cool, I'm going to name names. Here's what's really going on. Interesting thought. 
Maybe there's something we need to have a look at here as we look to to maybe renewing and refreshing some of our expectations as a church family about how we do conflict, because conflict is going to happen. If we are breathing in and out, conflict is going to happen. Paul here mentions names. And what are the ones that he mentions here in verse 12? What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul, another I follow Apollos, another I follow Cephas or Peter, still another I follow Christ. He's talking about factionalism in the church. He's talking about people being tribal and people attaching themselves to a particular leader and saying, well, I'm going to do things differently to someone else. I'm going to do things a particular way. That's who I'm attached to. And what is Paul's response? This is our point for this morning. Right here at the, at the start of verse 13, what is Paul's response? Is Christ divided? This is called a rhetorical question. It assumes that the answer is obvious. What is the obvious answer to this question? No, Christ is not divided. So if in the Corinthian church there are people who are saying, well, I'm going this way, well, I'm going over here, well, I'm going over here, what Paul is saying is that their attachment to these particular leaders, of which he is one of them, is not of Christ. He is saying that their factionalism and the way it plays out is not of Christ because Christ is not divided. And here he he asks two more questions to make it very obvious. Was Paul crucified for you? Implied answer is no, of course not. Paul was not crucified for the Corinthians. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? No, of course not. The next four verses, Paul actually goes through here and he goes off on a tangent about baptism. If you have a look in your Bible, you will find that this topic about leadership, specifically mentioning factionalism around himself or Apollos, goes the whole way through into the end of chapter 4. The first bone that Paul has to pick with the Corinthian church is four chapters long, and it's factionalism. Now, as Paul wanders off on these tangents, we're going to follow his tangents. But we're going to flag this morning this first big thing that Paul mentions, which is an unhealthy attachment to leadership. I know this is kind of a strange topic to bring up, but it happens in churches and it can happen in this church. It can happen in any church. Any group of Christians can end up unhealthily attached to a leader who is either present or who is past. Paul has not been at the Corinthian church in quite some time when he writes this letter. Let's ask this question a little bit more pointedly for our fellowship here. Verse 13, was Paul crucified for you? Was Wilbur Cook crucified for you? Ian Jeffress, Jeff McGrath, the Reverend Philip, Slade, Wilkin, Ling, Flack, Bartres, Watson, Field, Stewart. Those are the ones I had in my head. There's a few missing from that list, I know. The ministers of this church, the leadership, the elders, the deacons of this church were not crucified for you. And when you were baptized, you were not baptized into their name. So we must be very careful how we consider those who serve us in a leadership capacity. In a couple of minutes, we're going to do a really simple exercise to help us get our heads around this. 
But if there is any church leader that we hold up higher than Jesus, or if there is any church leader that we lay hold of as an intermediary between us and the Lord, we have created an idol. There is no apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, pastor, or teacher who should be held up, in your opinion, higher than the Lord Jesus Christ, whose words should matter more to you than the Lord Jesus Christ. This is, this is why we say go back and double-check things. This is why I say don't take my word for it. Have your Bible open in front of you. Double-check things. Make sure it's true. What does unhealthy attachment to leadership look like? Unhealthy attachment sometimes uh, looks like what we see happening with movie stars, that people want to be around them all the time or want to, want to have their opinion on, on every little thing. There are some horror stories that happen sometimes when ministers catch up for professional development. There's one of those things happening next week, and every year there are more horror stories about unhealthy attachment to leadership in Christian churches. And sometimes it's driven by the minister, and sometimes it's driven by the, the people in the church. So when Jesus talks about unhealthy attachment uh, in Matthew 23, Mark 12, and Luke 20, Jesus addresses the people and he says there are religious leaders that want to swan around all the time in flowing robes and they want to have the best seat at the feast. Jesus deliberately warns people. He says, beware of those leaders. They love titles. They love their clothing and they prey on the vulnerable while pretending to be spiritual. They want the seats of honor at the feasts. Jesus warns against those people and, and what is able to be at work in the heart of people who serve in leadership. Jesus warns against them. He says, be on your guard. Paul here addresses the attitude and the behavior in the church that idolizes and then factionalizes from within the body. See, the dilemma is this. If you find anyone in church leadership and you give them a paper cut, it's going to hurt. If it, if it goes deep enough, they're going to bleed. They're a human being. They are not infallible. You know what? Some of them probably snore. Some of them probably have feet that smell bad if they don't change their socks regularly. They are human beings. Church leaders are as human as you. And this is really important because if you have an unhealthy expectation of church leaders, then they are going to fail you. They're going to disappoint you. But if that, uh, if that expectation around church leaders is unhealthy, it can also stir up something in that person's heart where they become these people that Jesus warns against because it is really tempting to be idolized and worshipped. It is really tempting to have people give you authority and control over how they feel, over what they think. We sometimes see it play out around what people wear, about how they spend their money, about what relationships they're in, where the focus is no longer on what did Jesus say, but it's on the particular instructions from a, a religious leader. Leaders are human beings, and we need to keep them in the appropriate perspective. That's the point that Paul is driving at here, appropriate perspective. Is Christ Divided. 
No, Christ is not divided. So we need to be careful when we are picking teams based around leaders or when we are picking teams going, oh, that person's my captain. Jesus is your captain. Jesus might be putting people into your team to serve in a particular capacity for a particular time, for a particular task, but Jesus is your captain. Paul was not crucified for you. No minister or elder or deacon of this church has been crucified for you. Paul here mentions some of the names, Apollos, Cephas. There are names in the life of this church which are influential names. Some of them we have on the wall. But we were baptized into the name of Christ. So here we see Paul spending the next four verses, 14, 15, 16, 17, and he's effectively saying to this group of people that they have been very easily and very quickly led astray. I thank God I did not baptize any of you. Because Paul's saying, you have so completely missed the point of what baptism was. He's saying to this particular group of Christians that they have been easily misled or that they have easily or quickly misunderstood what happens. This is why Paul's about to talk about baptism. A group of people who have given their allegiance to someone based on something that they did. And it's easy for us to do sometimes as well. Some of us remember the first time we took communion. Some of us remember very well when we were baptized and the role that someone played in either leading us to the Lord or in baptizing us or leading us in communion or the person that, um, for those of us who've been married, the people who've officiated in that capacity, and sometimes that person can, can have a special place in our heart. Okay, that's good. But when it comes to causing division in the body of Christ, then it means we've held that person up higher than the authority of Christ. Paul is calling these followers back to unity because Christ is not divided. And have a look here how he starts this section. My brothers and sisters. I've missed a verse out here. I only just noticed that here in verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, Adelphoi, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how seriously Paul takes this. That all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. That is what Paul is calling them back to, and he's calling them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants them to have Jesus as their focus again. And this is always, always, always a worthwhile thing for, for us as Christians, no matter where we travel, no matter where we end up, no matter what country we are worshiping in, is Jesus the focus or not? Jesus must be the focus. And here Paul says, in the name of Jesus, come back to the unity that is in Christ. We need to examine our own hearts this morning to see whether our identity or our passion or our allegiance is attached to anyone more than the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're going to do a silly little experiment here. Here we have two mountains. Uh, the one on the top left is uh, K2, which for a while was thought to be higher than Mount Everest. And the one here on the bottom right is the Matterhorn, which I think is in Sweden. So you have a choice. Pick a mountain. 
And imagine for a moment that you are have been tasked, you're, you're, you're in a, a military group of some sort, and there is a secret hidden base on top of the mountain. Silly exercise, go with me. And you have a squad of people who are with you, and you are going to climb the mountain, and you are going to take that military base, because it's going to happen. That's your task. But in order for you to achieve that task, the commanding officer, who is over everyone, gives to your squad a Sherpa. Who here knows what a Sherpa is? Cool. Anyone here ever met a Sherpa? Okay, a couple of people. Yes, good. What's a Sherpa? Come on, someone tell me. A guide. Someone whose whose job it is is to take you up that particular mountain on that particular day. So you and your squad head off and the Sherpa gets you the whole way there and you do everything that you need to do. And when you come back down the mountain, the commanding officer who's over everyone says, look, how did you go? And you go, look, we did, we did really, really, really well. By the way, we now belong to that Sherpa. We're going to follow him or her for the rest of our lives. They showed such courage and they showed wisdom. And everywhere they told us to put our feet It made sense and it was safe and it worked out really well. We now belong to the Sherpa. The problem with this picture is that next week there's another base on a different mountain. Does the picture make sense? How useful is the Sherpa from the Matterhorn going to be when you get to K2 or the other way around? There'll be some overlap, absolutely. But the Sherpa is for that mountain. The Sherpa that you traveled with on that other mountain is not the Sherpa to take you up that mountain. Now, this is how, how it's a silly picture, I know. But this is a reasonable way for us to actually consider people who function in church leadership. Okay? Deacons, elders, pastors, and Sherpas. Right now, there is a mountain that Australian Christianity faces. And it is an incredibly antagonistic, violently atheistic culture in Australia, where Australian Christians have in in many cases acted in disgusting and foul and incredibly destructive ways. And any any pleasant memories that people have of engaging with with the representatives of the Lord Jesus Christ are fading fast. That's the mountain. When we think back to the mountains that we as Christians in Australia have scaled 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, or the ones that are going to turn up in 20 years, 50 years, There will be people in that day who the Lord is going to tap on the shoulder to serve as elders and as deacons and as ministry leaders. Jesus says he gives to his church apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. The Sherpa is for the mountain. See, sometimes I wonder how this factionalism that we read about plays out in the Australian church. 
Because sometimes it's, it's not just, you know what, here's the tele-evangelist I watched this morning, and you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm one of their disciples. Or going, you know what, I'm from this denomination, and that's my flavor, and I'm one of those disciples. Sometimes, sometimes it can be the name on the wall as well. Sometimes we can have an unhealthy attachment to a, a minister or to an evangelist or to a church leader that actually inhibits us from listening to the Sherpa that God has given to our team or our squad today. Now, this is difficult for me to share because my role here is something of a Sherpa. And it can sound like I've got tickets on myself to talk in this way. I'm aware of that. But it's difficult sometimes even as a minister in a church environment going, Lord, I'm, I feel like I want to point people to you and here's the mountain in front of us. And sometimes the language is, is the language of, well, that's not the way that team captain would do it. That's not the way that minister would do it. That's not the way that pastor would do it or that ministry leader would do it. Our captain is Christ. And all of us, every single one of us in this room, myself included, it's not about going, what, what do I want? It's about going, what, what does Jesus want? And here Paul puts himself in this, in this he says, I'm, I'm actually really, really glad that for some of you there's no risk of you misperceiving my role. That's what he's saying here about baptism. Paul expresses thankfulness that there are people in the Corinthian church who are not going to misunderstand his motives because of what happened, that he either baptized them or didn't baptize them, but he's actually going to have an ease to talk to some of these people that maybe he wouldn't have with others because of misunderstood motives. It's a difficult thing for, for all of us to get on the same page and go, okay, how are we going to climb this mountain? How are we going to function? And the only, the only thing that is going to help us as individuals and to help us as a community of Christians to scale the mountain we have in front of us, this challenge of mission and ministry, is that we all, every one of us, focus on Christ. Lord Jesus, how, how are you going to minister through us individually and as a group to reach Australia, to reach the people in this place that need to hear the good news. That's the unity in Christ that Paul calls the church to. And yeah, you know what? There are going to be different Sherpas who turn up. The long list of people who've turned up to serve in every capacity in the life of this church is going to get longer still. But our attachment is to Christ. So what are we going to finish on? here this morning. Very simply, the church is Christ's and we either belong to Christ or we belong to Christ and Paul or Christ and Apollos or Christ and Cephas or Christ and Wilkin and Slade and Cook and these others. I suggest to you that we need to critically assess the way that we consider church leaders. Elders, deacons, ministry leaders, pastors. We need to see them in 
in a, the reasonable capacity they are supposed to have. If this was not a significant issue, Paul would not be about to thread this conversation on for four chapters. It is a significant thing. In Australia, we call them church splits. If we play them right politically, we can call them church plants sometimes. But this is why they happen. That is the ultimate end of factionalism in a church, is Christian civil war. So let us guard against it. Let us have Christ as our focus. And where there are difficult things that come up, let us behave maturely and reasonably and wisely and with Christ as the focus. He is our goal. He is our hope. He is our assurance. He is the one who will keep us firm to the end. Let's pray together this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you that there are people that you give to your body who have particular skills and giftings from you, particular charisms or charismata, as Paul writes. Lord God, we ask that you would keep us focused on you and that anyone who serves, that we would see them appropriately, that we would not think too highly of them or too little of them. We would see your provision at work in that person in whatever capacity, for whatever length of time, whatever the task is, we would see that you are at work. Lord God, I pray for those of us who function in different capacities within the body. Lord God, please guard our hearts against idolizing ourselves or one another. Please guard us against being egotistical or being controlling or seeking unhealthy influence over others. Lord God, never, never let any one of us reach out our hand to try and take some of your glory for ourselves. Lord Jesus, please keep us focused on you and obedient to you, pursuing you wholeheartedly and with holiness. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the words of Paul. We thank you for his encouragement and also being chastised by him, being called again to focus on you. Thank you for that. Lord, we ask that this week, and in the next few weeks that your spirit would be speaking to us as we look at some of the leadership things in the life of this church, changing shape or adopting different words. Give us wisdom. Help us again to focus on you in, in all of those processes. Lord Jesus, we ask not for our glory, but for your glory. And in your precious name we pray. Amen.